good morning, everyone, and welcome to this session of Money Talks organized by Upstream. I'm Prema Gurinathan, Managing Director of Upstream, and we're a partnership between Imperial College and Hammersmith and Fulham Council. Um, we are a product of a local industrial strategy co-created by these two organizations, and our work is very much driven by the belief that strong local networks which facilitate collaboration and learning also accelerate the growth of organizations and places. Our vision is to turn Hammersmith and Fulham into, an, uh, into a destination for ambitious science, tech and creative organizations with a thriving ecosystem and with White City at the epicenter of an inclusive innovation district. Since 2018, we have connected, supported and shone a light on the science, tech and creative sectors. This morning, for our Money Talk series that connects angels, VCs and others in the funding landscape to startups, we're delighted to have with us David Hickson, Chief Strategic Development Officer at Founders Factory. David has over 20 years experience across six startups and scale-ups himself and has helped hundreds of startups with their fundraising strategy. His experience includes time at lastminute.com, uh, which, which when it sold out in uh, 20, 2005, must have been just about one of the first unicorns. It had a $1.1 billion exit. And since then, David has raised over 100 million for uh, worth of venture and investment capital for four other tech ventures. Founders Factory, just really briefly, is a global tech operating and investing business with a portfolio of over 200 tech companies globally, 45 of which they've built from scratch. They run an award-winning pre-seed to Series A venture studio and accelerator, and it's currently investing in a number of areas, including beauty, fintech, healthcare, uh, media, retail, travel, and AI and big data. Founders Factory also receives investment from corporates like MS and L'Oreal and EasyJet to build and invest in transformational new companies. Now, David's going to speak to us for around 25 minutes. Uh, he's got a presentation and then he's going to take questions from you. So could you please put your Q&A, your questions into the chat function as we go along or you know, at the end of his talk? And then we will put them to him when he is done. So I think that's all from me. David, over to you. Thank you very much uh, for your time this morning. Hi, uh, thanks, Pina. Um, can everybody hear me? Yes? Cool, I'm going to share my screen. Can you see that, everybody? Yes. Yep, you might need to go onto the, that's it. Yeah. Can you see that? Everyone see that? Okay, cool. So, hi. Thanks uh, to the, the Upstream team, to Pima and, and, and the gang um, for inviting me. Um, Actually, a little bit of history. They, they, uh, we at Founders Factory created created a, a piece of content called the, the fundraising manual, um, which uh, went live in January eleventh, two thousand twenty-one. I think that's the thing that grabbed the intent, uh, the the attention of, of, of Upstream. Um, it was written by me, <laughs> and the good news is it is, has easily it's easily been the most popular piece of content that we've ever created. Um, so why, so very quickly, as just to reiterate what, what Prim was saying, why I look so tired. So I've been doing this for a, a long time. It's 21 years, six scale-up startups, uh, lastminute.com, yes. I was there for, the, for the, you know, more or less the first five years, all the way up to its $1.1 billion exit in 2005. I then continued to work with the founder of, of, um, of lastminute.com, a chap called Brent Hobeman, to do some of the things that he did next. He did something called MyDeca, which merged into something called made.com. Um, may.com may may not become our next unicorn um, this year um, and then I also I was co-founder of my own company called Tribe Sports um, which we raised five million dollars for still goes it's it's performance sportswear I was then the founder of something else called Bioscout which was has not been quite so successful as all the others that's that's uh, uh, um, but then I joined rejoined Brent again and a chap called Henry Lane Fox who's who's the who was the employee number three at lastminute.com to start founders factory um, which, as uh, uh, Prima rightly said, is a, is a tech operating investing company. We're a venture studio accelerator investor, and, and we're we're we're, you know, we're we're in London, New York, Johannesburg, and, and various other places. Um, pressing my button, but nothing is happening. Oh, don't know what happened there. Um, okay, so so th that piece of content that you saw there, if you have a look about the fourth sentence down on the on the first on the first paragraph you see it's based on something called the no bullshit guide to fundraising um 
we do actually have that guide in our factory manual for our portfolio of, 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 of uh, founders and operators that are within our portfolio. So we do have it, it's based, that piece of content is based on a, on a much bigger uh, document. And um, what I wanna say is the reason why I think what we put together has caught, caught, a, caught a little bit of interest is because Founders Factory is different, right? It's different from, I, I almost think, it's different from almost anything else in the world. And I mean that, right? So um, what, what do I mean by saying it's different? So if you were talking to me, if I was a VC investor, the way that, in, the, the way that VC investors work is they create, let's just create, they, they create a fund. Let's say it's a hundred million pound fund here. Um, and then the vast majority of that money goes as investment into a portfolio company. And the, and the way that the, the venture capital, the, the, the VC itself, funds itself is by just by taking a management fee, 2% a year. In other words, the VCs are only funded by taking 2% of their fund a year to capitalize what they do, to, to make, you know, to pay their wages, to pay, to pay their staff, et cetera. When we started out in 2015, because we came from the operator side, the builder side, not from the investor side, we wanted to do something slightly different. So when we first raised our first $50 million, instead of putting it into a fund, we were like, why don't you just give all of that money to us, not the 2%, but 100%, put it onto our balance sheet. And that allowed us to do two things, right? It, it means that we can employ a very big team. We've got 120 tech operators on staff. And when I say operators, what I don't mean are lawyers, accountants, HR, who, who do grand job, but they're not operate. They're not, we consider operators. We're talking about, you know, product individuals, data science individuals, designers, et cetera, techies, et cetera. So we can employ, we employed operators, which allowed us to continue to build and provide a much more um, nuanced um, level of assistance to our portfolio companies. So, and we're not sure that anyone else in the world has actually ever done that, right? Um, I don't know why, but I keep, I keep pressing my button. It keeps not quite working, but anyway. So a lot of the stuff that you're going to hear from me today, and it's it's a it's it's a it's a it's a it's a little bit of fun actually. So it's it's you know it's just it's a, it's more of a taste of the sort of thing that we've done. I think it's going to be different, right? It's it's going to be different from some of the things that you might hear from either a founder operator who's had one maybe two startups and raised money, because of course they're you know they're the the, the way that they're, the prison that they've seen the world is literally just from their own start from from their own journey, or even investors, right? Investors who obviously we've got a lot of time with and we've got a great relationship with, that they see the world in a slightly different place than we do as operators that are working at, a, at, at, at scale. Um, and a lot of the things that I see from investors, right, who we consider to be on the other side of the table from us, even though of course with a portfolio of 200, we're investors too. A lot of the thing that, I, that, that we hear are, is, from them is, is BS, right? And, and um, Here's an example of what I'm talking about. So I reckon I've heard from our own teams, I reckon I've heard this, this or a similar story to this about a million times, right? So a founder will go to a VC and they'll say to the VC, we're raising 500 grand. And the VC will say to them, well, why are you raising 500 grand? And they'll go, well, because we're early, the product's only in beta, I need capital to get it to the hand of the early pilot customers. And the VC, very sage-like, will go, we don't think 500 grand's enough. We think you need 1.5 million pounds. And the founder goes, great, we'll take it. And the VC, well, no, not from us. Come back when you're doing 50 grand recurring revenue a month. In other words, their advice, they give advice, but it, 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 it's strange or BSE type advice. So let's take a half step back. I think, I think I just want to explain, because this is all about venture fundraising, right? Um, so I explain what that actually means, because sometimes it's not 100% crystal clear in everybody's head, including sometimes founders, operators, even sometimes VCs. Um, so what is venture? Well, venture is an investing style. Actually, more technically, it's a strategy with a private equity asset class. It's not the only investing style, and that's where sometimes the confusion arises, right? Um, and therefore, because it's not the only investing style, it's not for everyone, either as the investor or the investee, right? So a lot of time, a lot of time, people that sit outside what we do, they sort of you know, wave their arms sanctimonious about what we're doing, but they're kind of, it's because they're, com they're confusing more than one thing. So what it tends to do is it invests at the early stage in certain types of companies, right? And it's those, it, and it's a high risk, high return. 
and it's the high return element, I think, that helps to understand the kind of companies that it invests in. And it has its own language, right? Startups, scale-ups, VCs, founders, operators, pre-seed, seed, series A. When I first started this, when I joined lastminute.com in 2000, they were called dot-coms, right? And it was a tiny, like the number of dot-coms relative to, you know, everything that you could invest in or other companies that existed on the, on the FTSE or whatever, we were a tiny group, right? But of course, here we are in 2021, although we are still a smallish bubble, for me who works inside it, it feels huge. But of course, from outside it, it's still a fairly smallish bubble. But of course, it's getting much bigger, uh, much more quickly. Actually, you know, venture, it's with its own language, you know, there are, it, it, it's, it's, it, it's born, of course, in Silicon Valley. So all of us are kind of derivative of, 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 of the kind of, the, of what's come out of Silicon Valley. And so what is, what, so what are the sort of things that makes you venture backable? Well, firstly, it means that you scale as a function of capital. And that's actually meaningless, as, you know, because obviously, if you're getting capital for anything, of course, that means you're going to scale. What that really means is you can scale non-linearly. And I'll explain that in a minute. So therefore, it presupposes both that there is a scaling element. So since, you know, the mid to late 90s, that typically means internet based and tech enabled, right? So when we talk about tech in our world, what we really, that's a, that's a generic term, but it includes what we mean by kind of, we mean it's internet based. And it's the internet that's obviously providing the scaling element, right? And it also presupposes future capital rounds, right? particularly if you're, if you're investing in the seed and the pre-seed. So these two things are related, right? Like if an investor knows that they are gonna be diluted by future capital rounds, it wants, when they invest in your round, they need to be assured that the company can scale sufficiently that it'll see value for its investment weighted for risk, right? So these two things are in, so again, once you, once you understand this, certain things about what we do in our world make sense to people that sit outside and, and wave their arms around. So the journey of these venture-backed companies is one of investor growth deliberately loss-making. And again, this is something which confuses, you know, traditional investors or people from traditional industries. They don't understand that, that when these companies are making a loss, that is a feature, not a bug, right? Um, and so therefore, despite the arm-waving, oh, oh. Um, despite the arm-waving for those outside, outside the industry, it's actually a defined, strategically sound and successful model. What do I mean by that? Well, isn't this a fun stat, right? Here are the top 10 largest companies in the world by market cap, okay? From two to eight, were all originally VC-backed tech companies. Obviously, they've evolved into something else now, right? So remember we were saying earlier that we're a small bubble and getting increasingly large. You know, this is the reason why, right? Because these businesses are just getting bigger. And if you get big, because of the way that they can, because of the, the, the network effects, they can compound and get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, VC, so when people say VC, it doesn't equal venture, right? One is capital V, capital C, one is venture, small, small V. Remember, venture is an investing style, okay? Anyone can do it. I can do it as, a, as an angel, an SEIS investor, whereas venture capitalists, capital V, capital C, they are professional venture investors managing the venture capital fund on behalf of third-party investors. That's their LPs. So what I really want to do is, is just to have a little bit of fun that th these things are, are, are true, but, but it's a little bit of fun. So what I want to do is introduce some, some secrets and strange truths. There's a couple of secrets and a couple of strange truths. So the first v, v secret, uh, VC secret is this. How VCs think about returns and therefore about you. Well, this is, a, you guys may or may not have seen this, but this is, if you, you've ever seen a VC's uh, funds, uh, when they're trying to raise for their own uh, funds, you'll probably see this in here because it's very popular. And the reason why it's popular is because it, it represents a data set of 21,000 financing. So it's, it's got a very big data set. And what this demonstrates, this goes back to this idea that the vast majority of every single one of an investment made by a VC is likely to fail, right? And this is in the US. The dynamic in the US is different from the UK and Europe, right? You, they, you know, they tend to they tend to have more capital flowing into them. They tend to get bigger more quickly. There's Coinbase has gone from zero to ninety five billion dollars from 2012. Insane, right? In the UK and Europe, the actual the failure rate is even higher, right? We have less capital available. We have, you know, we can't support things that don't work. So, but you will notice the the vast the vast number of things that invent that's invested in do not work out. So reminder, right? 
high risk, high return. Here's the fun fact. VCs don't care about your 3x return. They don't care. Like you can, if you don't, if you go into a VC and say, um, like our company is worth 10 million today, right? In two years, in three years time, it's going to be 30 million, right? So we're going to 300x your money, not 300x, we're going to 300% your money, we're going to 3x your money. Um, the VC, and you go, isn't that amazing? The VCs, but the question is, if you say that to the VC, the question is, will the VC invest in you? And I'm going to tell you the answer is no. Weird, right? You've just told them that you believe that you're going to be able to give them a much higher return than they would if they were investing in almost any other asset class, right? And yet they still wouldn't invest. Because they only care if you can return their fund, right? Because, fun fact, they know you probably won't. They only care. They will only invest in you if they believe you can, they can return their fund because they know you probably won't. Strange, right? So what is, quickly, what does the return the fund actually mean? Well, here's Atomico. So, so Atomico is a, is a famous Series B fund that we know it's, it was, it's, uh, it's, its main GP is a chap called Nicholas Enstrom. He was the original founder of Skype. We know the guys extremely well. You know, they're, they're, they're definitely tier one when it comes to the VC funds in London. And you'll notice here that the fund size is $820 million. Now, remember what I said, right? They will only invest in companies that believe that they can return their fund. Now, just to keep the math very simple, right? What does that mean? Imagine they invested in you, they've got 10%, they continue to invest in you to retain their 10%. What that means is to return their fund, they have to believe that you can get to a valuation of $8.2 billion. So if you're going in there trying to sell them the 30 million pounds that we've just described, or even hundred million pounds, they won't invest in you, right? You have to sell them the belief that they, you can get to 8.2 billion and that's when they will make the investment. And all the best non-VC, remember VCs, capital V, capital C is different from venture. Venture investors, in other words, tech angels, small SEI funds, they all know this, right? But it's fractal, right? Like if someone is investing in you like a million on a 10 million valuation, you don't have to sell them 8.2 billion. They just have to know that you can return their entire portfolio. So, you know, they don't have to believe you can get, they, if you're investing at, at, at 10 million, they probably need to believe you can get to 100 million, something like that. So the takeaway there is when you're, you have to understand who you're talking to. Obviously you don't have to sell, sell 8.2 billion to, a, uh, to a, an angel. Um, but if you're speaking to Atomico, that's what you've got to sell them, right? You've got to sell them a big upside. And the bigger the fund, the bigger the upside. Strange truth, number one. So the previous was a, a secret. This is a strange truth. So this is a truth that investors from outside the bubble with, again, is, again, we're in the bubble, outside the bubble. They really struggle with this one. Um, which is for a pre-seed to Series A startup, the valuation is not so much about the startup itself. Weird, right? Because you would have thought it's all about the startup itself. That's the one. And of course, you know, when you're on Dragon's Den, that's the, you know, they're you know, things like valuation obsessed. They're obsessed with valuation and how did you value yourself, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but the weird truth is, it's really not in our world. It's really not because the valuation of any startup is ridiculously overvalued. And so I had this, so for example, you could be a startup, a tech startup with three employees, no revenue, and get a four million pound valuation. So I had this conversation on Twitter with a very famous London VC, right? And, and I said, look, and we would, and it was, you know, it was a fun, I know the guy well, right? So it was, it was, it was fun. And I said, look, you wouldn't invest in any one of these companies at these prices. You wouldn't invest in a, in a, in, in a company with three employees and no revenue at four million. And he was like, True, which is weird, right? Because his job is to invest in these companies. I said, you wouldn't invest in any one of these at these prices. You're like, true, strange, right? But, at the and then, but then I said to him, but you'd invest in 30 of them at these prices. And he was like, well, absolutely, because that's his job. So the valuations are irrational at the component level, i.e. each individual portfolio company, but at the collective level, they're rational. Now, the technical reason is for that is because going back to the, you know, the right-tailed um, distribution that you've got, but isn't that peculiar? So, so a lot of times you will see, you know, you'll see people on Twitter or whatever going like, I can't believe that the valuation of this thing is X, even sometimes VCs, frankly, but actually what they're not, what they're not realizing is that, is that, is that they're, they're confusing how you make a return. And the best 
really best venture investors know this dynamic and therefore they're very, you know, they're, they're, they're relaxed about it. So here's another strange truth. Investors invest in stages, right? So you might know this. So this on the right hand side, the, the SAS funding in 2018, this is a very famous um, conceit that Point9, which is a German uh, VC, uh, seed stage VC put together. They call it the back, the back of the napkin um, thing which you know they and they and they and they and they make it look like that and it's it's famous in in our world so they they explain like which where you fit in if you're seed or you're series a series b i've just added in angel and seis and pre-seed here on the, on the left hand side but you can see so it's you've got the valuations you've got the average round sizes you kind of team put like where you are on the product etc cetera, etc cetera. in other words VC, particularly, and again, we are particularly talking about pre-seed to Series A, the dynamic starts to change as, as these businesses get bigger at Series B and above. So we're only talking about the, early, the very earliest stage. In other words, it's a lot of it is painting by numbers, right? It's painting by numbers, which means that you, the company, has to fit into their box, not the other way around, right? Um, which, of course, is a more generalized version of the previous valuation point. You fit into their box. They categorize you. They put you into their box. And that defines things like how much you're raising, what your valuation and what your terms are. Because, because at the very early stage, raises, valuations and terms are generally all very similar. So in other words, you've got to be more Taoist about it. You've got to be in harmony with the market. And I, like, again, we see this a lot. We, you know, we've helped you know, because we have a portfolio of 200 and, and, we, and we do a lot of work with that 200, right? Like we work extremely hard with them. This is something which when I'm talking to my founders, it, it, it's, it's a message that it, 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 it's hard for them to, to understand, which is they'll go, you know, you'll have three exceptional individuals from, you know, from Oxford or Cambridge or whatever, and they've got an insanely good idea and, you know, they've got the same backgrounds. They go, well, David, we just want to raise like five million on, in, into 20 or something. And I'm like, you can't do that unless you get very, very lucky. In, you know, you can't do that because the market won't support it. Even, no matter who, how great or insanely talented you are unless you get very lucky. And when I said, because luck does play a part here, you won't be able to do it. You've got to be much more in harmony with the market. And I know that from speaking to 20 teams that, that look and sound just like you guys. Ugh. So odd, why is that? Well, that leads me to VC secret number two, right? Remember that the VC needs to invest, and I use 30, of course, it you know, it could be 20, it could be 50, they need to invest in a lot of companies, right? Which means that nobody has, nobody within the VC team, remember, like they're, they're very lightly capitalized with only their 2% a year. Nobody has time to negotiate too long and hard, right? They've got too many deals to do, right? And remember, they're less concerned about your downside because they can only ever lose one X on you, right? And they're more interested on your upside, right? Um, and of course, the future's too uncertain. In other words, the idea that they know which one of their 30 is going to be their, their fund returner is naive. And there's, there's recently there's been a classic example of that, right? Um, you've got something called Hopin, right? Um, that that had the, the founder in, you know, two years ago, the start of 2019, tells exactly a very similar story um, 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 to J.K. Rowling, right? Which is, you know, he took his idea to investor after investor to VC after VC, nobody was, nobody was interested or they were, you know, or they gave him the classic, you know, VC BS. You know, they gave all sorts of reasons. Again, they all sorts of reasons why they didn't want to invest. He got lucky, again, he got lucky, right? He found someone to put 25,000 in. That individual was an angel who knew someone at a, at a small seed fund, a small seed fund went uh, a bit later going, okay, look, we'll, you know, we can, we can put a small amount in. Two years later, Hopin is worth five billion, right? It's gone from, from couldn't do anything for months and months and months. Of course, it got very lucky because it was it's online events, right? And suddenly, because of COVID, it was massively zeitgeist, right? And so he got insanely lucky about, about, about something which happened which no one could predict. And to be honest, that's that's the way this stuff works, right? Like the future is so uncertain, like in the universe of exceptions or the universe of things that can, that, can, that can give you an advantage, any one of them is unlikely, but A1 is possible, right? So that's why you have to have this portfolio. And therefore they've got too many deals to do, which means that they, they, that's why all the terms and all the deals, that's why they all start to look and feel the same. So remember, 
VCs high risk, high return. They only care about the upside and they need to do many deals and they de facto have their downside risk mitigated by having a big portfolio. This, again, this is not the same as you move, move up the funding rounds. Like if like the series above series A, series B, it's different, it's different, it's different. So here's a final secret, right? About investment deck. So um, in the old days, going back to, uh, to lastminute.com, even, even when we did this for the thing that we did after MyDeco, which kind of eventually sort of merged into May.com, um, we used to create business plans, right? We used to, used to play like 50 page uh, business plans that would have all this text, you know, they're on Word documents with graphs and stuff like that. Um, so it's a sort of a function of the previous point about no one's got time to do that anymore. That is not the way that it works anymore. We just, you just have like a 15, 20 page investment deck right and that is all you and, and then a, a financial model which is you know which is really just about your ability to work a spreadsheet rather than re reflective of any kind of truth and the fact that they can hang together that's all you need these days right to secure investment so with your investment deck which is you communicating your story and your opportunity is instead of these days as the old school business models right so when when my guy, when our founding teams come to us and like we, and they're like, like how do we, how do we make sure that our materials are like really work, David? I've got one tip, right? It seems to get us 80% of the way, 80% of their decks to being great, right? And it's so simple, right? But I'm gonna give you an example of, of, of what I mean. So this is, this is from one of our portfolio companies, right? This is one of their early decks. Now tabled is a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a legal tech, right? And it's just an AI thing that is there to triage um, um, requests that come into lawyers. So, uh, you know, in-house lawyers, or even, you know, they'll go, where's my contract? Or I need an NDA and, and things like that. Now this was the original page in their deck. Um, and, and, and you will notice that, that, that I had to explain to you like what this slide actually meant. It kind of gives the impression, but I had to explain. So I said to those guys, what you need to, what you need to go away is you need to, sh is you take all the abstract diagrams away and just show me your product doing the thing that you said that it wants to do. Like show me the triage, it's an AI triage. Show me the triage, show me it on a, on a mobile app if that's, if that's, if that's, if that's, your, if that's your, your main product and show me it working, right? So there's like, hi, Phil, how can I help? I need an NDA. Okay, I can help with that. Like, is that both of you? Click on here. Thank you, Phil, I've submitted. In other words, in other words, the deck now shows me without telling me, right, on their product, exactly what it, you don't have to tell me it's triaging, I can see it. Like, obviously, if, if you're putting on there, that's all done by AI, that's even cooler, right? And you show me by explaining the kind of the, the workflow there within the NDA, just how it works. So in other words, just showing me by using your product rather than telling me using abstract type speaks to me in so many different words. And this whole idea that, 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 uh, that, that a picture speaks a thousand words is so true. Here's another example. So this, was a, this is a, a slide in the deck that one of our portfolio companies put together. And, 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 and this was just reimagining podcasting. And this was their original effort, right? Which was, we, you know, here's the different things we're gonna do on the left. Here's why it's interesting, right? And I'm like, I look at that and I have no idea what your, what your thing does, right? Here's another way of explaining of the, the same idea, which is, which is features. Here is the product, this is Lucky Trips product. You can see on the left-hand side, right? You can see that it's 250, 200, you can set your price, press the lucky button. And then instead of having bullet points, it shows me the features on the product in situ and then you've got, look, it's somewhere to go, like hand-picked. It's a much better exposition of what they're doing. And of course, the other thing about this, because sales is simple, guys, it's beautiful, right? It shows me, it's showing me that these guys understand how to put beautiful product together. Do you see what I mean? So not only am I getting very quickly what their, what their product is and why it's interesting, one tip and one tap, Right, but also, and I'm filling in the gaps myself, but also shows me that they, they, they can probably put great product together because it's beautifully rendered. This is an, another page in their, in their slide. Now, originally they were like, we've got a partnership example with EasyJet. Here's the fun thing. They hadn't actually secured that deal yet, or at least they hadn't, they, 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 they signed the LOI, but, it, but they, it wasn't made manifest on their product. 
So they originally, they just had a bullet point that said, oh, we're doing a deal with EasyJet who are going to put in like 400 grand and, you know, and then, and then distribute what we're doing to, to their customers. And that was just on one bullet point. And I'm like, guys, why don't you just show me what that looks like? And I can instantly see, right, that I can see how EasyJet has fitted into your product, right? And therefore, you've made it much more real for me. And I can see instantly how that, that partnership works. In other words, using your product, how your partnership works. Do you see what I mean? And again, beautifully rendered. No longer just a bullet point, beautifully rendered, right? Again, it's speaking to me in all sorts of different ways. Um, similarly, the same point, right? Again, like we've got another business called, it used to be called Go Travel, it's now called BRB. Like they, again, it was a bullet point, which was, and then when you get back, we will text you while you're in to, to say, why don't you book your next trip straight away? I'm like, instead of having a bullet point, show me the text on your product, right? Show me it working and I get there much more quickly. So in other words, the one tip I think to get you to 80, 20, much more investment is that you tell your investment story using beautiful shots of your product. I promise you, if you go away and you, and you take this advice, right? And you use beautiful product shots, telling me your investment story in the ways that I've just described, you are gonna, you are gonna, you're gonna three X the quality of your deck. And I'll just use a final example for that. Um, we use this thing called DocSend. When we send it, and remember, we've done this for 200 companies, right? No, again, no one has done this at the scale that we've done it. When we send our, our decks to the VCs and the, and, the, and the investors that are downstream from us, we can see on DocSend just how much time they spend looking at a deck, right? Before they say, I want the intro, I don't want the intro, right? So obviously once you've got the intro and you're in there and you're talking to them, it's, it's, it's more about you and, and, and how you sell your proposition than it is about the deck. The deck just gets you the meeting. And I can tell you that, that when you're agonizing over this word on, in this bullet point, how irrelevant that is, when the VC or the investor looks at your deck, they do this, slide, 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 maybe rest on the team, slide, 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 maybe rest on, you know, like your metric, slide, 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 done. Less than a minute, nearly always less than a minute, I'll have the intro, I won't have the intro, right? It is not about the content, it is about the impression that it leaves. And if you're, if you're showing them beautiful shots where they can get it very quickly and they fill in the gaps themselves, the chances of you getting that meeting again are 10x. All right, that's all I've got. It's 30 minutes, so that's all I've got. Right, thank you, David. Um, I think that was really helpful. And we've got a couple of questions in the uh, chat function. And if anybody's got any more, please put them in. I've also been sent a few. Um, Oh, right, pops up again. Right, uh, Carly said, I don't think I understand this point in the Q&A. Could you unpick it? Valuations are rational at component level, but rational at collective. Yeah, well, so what that, what that means is, it's, it, it, it's, the reasons for it are quite technical, okay? Let's just go back to that. Let's go back to the Hoppin example. So I don't know if you guys have come across Hoppin. So Hoppin is that business that I was describing, and Carzu is another example. Carzu, so Hoppin. And actually, even um, Deliveroo is another example, right? So there was a lot of, when Deliveroo, Deliveroo IPO'd um, um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was a lot of bits in the press about the some of the original investors, the angel investors in Deliveroo getting a 60,000% return, 60,000%. I don't know how true that is, but that was, that's, what, that's what that was in the press. But we certainly know that some of the early investors in Deliveroo got an insane return. So in other words, if you invested in every single tech business, so if you invested in Hopin, which went from zero to five billion, if you invested in um, Kazoo that went from zero to six billion in, in, in two or three years, if you invested in Deliveroo, but then you also invested in all the other start, the other start, remember 70% failure rate, all the other startups that failed, right? If you invest in everything, probably over the last three to four years, your return on investment would be about 500, would be about 5x, right? 5x, right? Because of course, your returns that you're making on the big winners are diluted by your losers. So a 5x return, right, is over three or four years is better, that's 500%, remember, is better than investing in almost any other asset class in the world, right? So that is better than investing in equities. It's better investing in, you know, it's better than investing in, anything in funds whatever it's better right the challenge that you've got is how do you know that the ones that you invest in are going to be the hoppings and and i can see i can see that and petronella is asking about the luck component the point being is that is that because a lot of this stuff is 
stochastic. It's, it is a little bit random and it is subject to things that are external to what you're doing. Hoppin example is a classic example of that, right? It's a classic example. Hoppin struggle, 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 couldn't convince anyone. And then suddenly you've got COVID and it goes, right? We, we've got another, we've got, we've got two or three examples. I'll give you another example. We've got this business called Slick, right? Insanely good female entrepreneur. She's brilliant, right? And the idea is brilliant, right? Which is 70% of, of small hairdressing salons that, that, you know, that just have, you know, it's it, the boutique salons that, you know, usually have just hair, five, six barber hairdressers in there. They're still on paper and pen, right? They're still on paper and pen. Because what they, you know, because A, they just don't have the time to think about like creating something which is a bit more techy and, and, the, t and, the, and the kind of the booking software that's available is, is usually for like, you know, for much bigger franchised um, uh, hairdressers and that. So they just have the time to worry about it, right? So what, so what Slick did is created a very, very simple cloud-based booking software that also allows for very simple kind of SMS marketing and stuff like that. It's mobile first, you can do it on your, on, on your it's very simple to use, it's beautiful. But of course, for a long time, they, you know, because it's hard to acquire those customers, you've got to walk, you've got to literally walk around to every single one of them, get them on, and they've got to see the value, and they, they're busy just running their hedges, they don't have the headspace for it. Struggle, 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 struggled. COVID, right? Suddenly, you've got those head, you know, the people, the salon owners are like, I'm not doing anything right now. I really need to think about how I'm going to bring in customers. How can I? You know, and then suddenly you've got slick, you've got this thing. So they're searching right on Google, but also they also remember the, the discussion they've had with Slick, and they're like, this these Slick people are saying only for like whatever it is, ten pounds a month. It's really cheap, right? That's the whole point. It's about scale. Suddenly Slick has just gone. Woof. And here's the fun thing: we've been helped. We before COVID, we were trying to help Slick raise, you know, like just trying to get it to raise a few hundred thousand pounds from angels and stuff. In January 2020, they opened a fundraising round, just a million pound fundraising round. In four days, they got to 1.2 million pounds, right? It was in four days. It took us months to get them the first two or, two or 300,000 pounds. Exactly the same business, exactly the same idea. Do you see what I mean? So this is, this is you can call this luck, and it is luck, but here's the thing about luck. As an investor, right, going back to this idea that in the universe of exceptions, of universe of things that might happen, anyone is unlikely. So COVID was unlikely before COVID, right? But, some, but something may or may not be to the advantage of your portfolio and just be the thing that makes it click and click up. Do you see what I mean? Okay, thank you. I think, I think that was a good uh, kind of fleshing out a bit more. Actually, we've got another question from Petronella, David, and she's saying amazing examples of beautiful products in the consumer space. I get it. How do you deal with products that are in the digital health space where you've got all sorts of stakeholders at the table, doctors, insurance, regulators, patients, pre-patients, etc. And the road is a bit more complex than in consumer products. Well, that's a great question. But let me just go back to um, Slick, for example. Now, I appreciate this might be different with your, you know, with, with, with the doctors, although I don't, know if it, I don't think it's that different. If you think about Slick, Slick is not, Slick is not a consumer product, right? Remember, it's B2B. It is, Slick is for salon owners, right? But the thing about the salon owners themselves is they're, they're, they're analogous to consumers, right? They want to have a very easy, intuitive, easy to use, um, um, mobile first product, which is easy for them to manage, right? Same, we have the same idea with something called Tatrip, right? Which is for business travel, right? So business travel typically is in the old school way of like, you know, big sort of client server products, complicated spreadsheets, et cetera, et cetera, you know, designed for businesses, but not very attractive. Remember the, the eventual users are all consumers. So what they've done is created a beautiful mobile first cloud-based business travel product, which, which again has got a huge, which, which started, is starting again to, to, to get incredible traction because it's much easier for the eventual users to use. Even on your, even on your digital health space, we have got, um, we've got a company that is helps physiotherapists, right? With um, making, one of the problems that you have with physiotherapy is not so much the science, but it's getting the, the custom, their custom, the clients, the patients, to continue to follow the rules, right? So, um, so, so it's it's here's a here's a here's a product for the doctors to recommend um, to their patients to use to make sure that the patients continue to follow 
the 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 mandates put together by the physiotherapist and again because it's the event the patient is the is effectively a consumer that you know it looks like a consumer product so even though you're an individual work in an enterprise it is still much better if you're experiencing a product which feels consumery because you everyone is so used to be using consumer products so this idea of 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 consume of this we use this a lot actually consumer grade enterprise products again like if you're using Dropbox or if you're using you know any of these things enterprise consumer products no sorry consumer grade enterprise products is something is, a, is something which we use a lot it gets a lot of traction with venture investors as a top tip for you okay thank you David and I think in, in answer to your uh, previous question Carly actually said she got she gets it so thank you for that elaboration uh, Michael is asking you said all investment terms are similar does this mean it is not worth reading uh, them and no way of negotiating. I have heard stories of founders being done over the line by a small term in one of their early deals. And then there's a second part of the question, yeah, which, question. yeah. Yeah, so so don't, don't be confused by what I'm saying here, right? In the universe, there is always exceptions to every rule. This is none of this, none of this. So you will, you will if you know enough people, you will have war stories about people that have, signed there are bad actors in in, in 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 investing a lot of those bad actors in my experience i hate to say it are ex you know people that have made a lot of money in 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 private equity or in other sort of capital markets jobs making seed investments and thinking that they can thinking that they can take what they've learned from later stage investments and try and deploy them into earlier stage stuff of course it's true of course of course there are bad actors there are bad terms and, and so this is a general point. It's a general point that in the early, in the early stage, so a lot of VCs, for example, they're, they're in the, they're, there is a published seed, there is a published seed term sheet, right? Um, if you look, in fact, if you just put in, you know, uh, seeds term sheet into Google, it's the, I think it's the first thing that's on there, right? It's, it's published, it's agreed. Um, the vast majority of VCs, so professional, seed investors, the vast majority of tech investors that know this world well and been in and around a long time, know this published term sheet and they know, so in other words, it's been agreed upon, but that does not mean that there are exceptions to this rule. Of course there are. It's, this is, a, this is, a, this is a, a, like all of these things, these are, are guidelines, they're not rules. So of course you still need to look carefully. You can't just ignore it. You need to look carefully. And if there's something in there you don't like, you don't understand, you ask, you ask someone who can help you understand what the consequence of that is, and then and then you take a view. Of course. Thank you. Uh, another question from Michael, which is: unless they are wealthy, founders need to live. What sort of salary will allow invest? Will investors allow them to take at different valuation levels, investment stages? It's a that's a great question, and actually, you know, it's one of the things that we are trying to solve for. So, so, so we this is going to start sound like sales for us. Um, it's not. So, one of the things that we're we're doing two different things. We're we're creating a venture studio for founders with a diversity perspective, right? And we're creating uh, we're creating a, uh, a seed fund for Black entrepreneurs with a with, with a great team out of Brixton, right? So, the, our kind of placeholder title for the thing that we're doing in in, in Brixton is solving for the the friends and family round. Because one of it, without doubt, like there is a there is a a privileged position for those that have the ability to get their first hundred grand from friends and family. That is a privileged position to have, and without doubt, that is discriminatory discriminatory against those that can't do that. So we're trying to solve that problem. And similarly, with our venture studio, again, like we can provide because with our venture studio, it comes with an offering of, you know, it like a, it's a, approximately four hundred thousand pounds, where we have an on balance sheet budget. Which can, pay, which can pay the early stage founders a salary, right? Which again, which means that they have the, a, an opportunity which they couldn't do if they were just doing it by themselves. Do you see what I mean? So there are, so we're trying to, we, we're very aware of this problem. We're trying to help solve it again from the bottoms up, not from the arm waving and regulatory stuff, but you know, doing real things in real ways. Um, so investors, I think, I think investors are very, uh, investors are very, they understand this too, right? So they understand that you've got to live. If you're worrying about how you're going to make rent or mortgage, right? You're not going to be focused on the thing which they want you to be focused on, which is building a great business and, and making them a return. So they understand this dynamic. 
the trouble, I think, is when you have an unreasonable expectation, okay? Um, maybe, you know, you, you know you're, 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 you're saying you want to raise £100,000 and you're saying, well, out of this £100,000, I'm going to pay myself £80,000 a year. Like, I can understand an investor going, well, wait a minute, like, what we really need to be doing is thinking, is thinking sensibly about how we are going to deploy this £100,000 in order to achieve what we all want to achieve. Like, so it's a just, it's a, it's a, it's a fine balance. And like, and again, it's a, you know, it's, it's, there are, you can, for sure, you can understand the, you can understand the investor's point of view and you can understand the founder's point of view. And you think you've just got to, everyone's got to, got to think about that in a, in a, in a fair way. Again, like if you're, if you're just raising your first two, 200, pounds, getting paid around about 60,000 pounds a year, I know that's not, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's a lot of money for some people, but it's not a lot of money for other people. Um, that is broadly where we're at, broadly where we're at, which I think is a fair balance between the money you get paid, the money you need to pay your team, and the money that, that needs to be invested in, in projects, in product and projects. Thank you, David. Um, we've got a question from Coyote uh, further up, actually, who was asking, um, you mentioned team as a focus of investors. How do they rank team compared to the others, to the other factors? One of the things that, that we are quite hot on at Founders Factory is, you might have gathered this, is we try not to have too many rules because the point about rules or frameworks is the minute that you're they're, they're written they're out of date particularly in our world like you for example you could have an investment thesis that's like well we're not going to invest in any other uh, online events business right and then it's broken right it's broken so um we try and be much more bespoke about the world and truth be told few are prepared to admit the reasons why an investment is made are, is often tangible. And you know what? It could be, it's just they, they've been convinced about your beautiful rendering of your product, right? Because that has spoken to their subconscious. Here's a team that has been able to communicate their story well, which means that they can communicate to customers, communicate to other downstream investors. And again, this is all the stuff that's happening in their, this is not, this is in their subconscious. This is not even them thinking about it, you know? And I've got a sense that this is a, product with a big market um, and I can believe that this is a product in the future that this is going to this is going to be big but all of this is just you know it's kind of the classic it's classic kind of, of system one thinking you know the Kahneman system one if you guys have come across that it's associative things that that that, that, that sits and then bubbles up and they kind of rationalize it using the system too so it's and then oftentimes so the reasons why here's the fun thing the reason why they say yes they it's sometimes a very difficult for articulate or even they post rationalize why they say yes um but the reasons why they say no which which they do nine times out of ten right you will here's another fun thing about vcs which i've noticed i'll give you i know we have a lot of time but i'll tell you the story anyway um we had a, we've got a founder right great founder. he's only i mean he's like 23 years old he's insanely good he's from austria he created a business that's now about to do a very big Series A, raise lots of money. Again, it's one. I think it's going to be one of those that's going to be one of those big unicorns. Um, but when we were, when we he was, when he was with us in our in our program, again, like I, we were working extremely hard to get him a few hundred thousand. Again, like everything else, at the start of something, it's hard to convince people. A couple of years later, when things start to happen, it's much easier because they can post hoc rationalize it, right? So. And he, we took, we, we introduced him to 20, in 20 different investors, right? VC, all the way from VCs to angels. And he came back to me, Dan, remember this is my dying day. He said, David, he was a very, cause he's, I mean, I hate to, very organized chap, right? And he was like, I've, I've spoke to these 20 investors and I've written down and every single one of them said, no, and here's the 20 reasons. And he gave 20 different reasons, 20 different reasons why the investors said no. Some of them even contradicted each other, right? She was like, what do I do with this, right? I've got, because I, I'm tying myself in, no, I've got 20 different reasons. How do I know which one of those are, are right? And I'm like, do you, you, wanna, you wanna know why? And this is my, this is just my instinct of doing this at scale with lots of different founders and seeing this sort of thing a lot. I'm like, I sometimes think that because they've got, they've got, you know, because these VCs are looking at like a hundred decks a week, you know, their demand for their money is so insane. It's almost like they're just thinking, what's the easiest thing I can say to this guy to give him, to tell him that the, for the reason why I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not going to invest. In other words, I don't even know how true it is. 
when they say, here's why we're not investing. So basically, it's like a school report sometimes when there are too many teacher, too many children in the class and the teachers got confused with all of you. And then you end up with a remark and you go, really? That's not me. I think, I think do you know what I think it is? Like the incentives are, look, if this guy suddenly becomes super, uh, super successful, I want to make sure that, that it, when he has disproved me, so I'm going to say something nice, right? Remember, I'm going to say something nice and encouraging, which is why they nearly always say, look, if blah, blah happens, we'd love you to come back and like, let's stay in touch. They want, you know, they, they want it to be de-risked. Um, they might want to be, they mightn't want to be too honest, which is like, like you're a 22 year old Austrian kid that doesn't speak English very well. And I just didn't feel you, man. Like you were, like it was too, like, I didn't, I, it, that's probably the more, you know, that's probably the truth, right? But they don't want to say any of that stuff. So they say, well, we have problems with the size of the market, da, 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 da. And again, like suddenly when you're at Sunni's A, when the market is so obviously huge, and of course, everything that they were saying two years ago, none of it was real. It may, even if they believed it, it wasn't real because it, again, the world has shifted and it, it, it's something else two years later, right? So again, it's, it's, uh, it's, this stuff is really a lot about art and it's a lot about sales. That's the dirty truth. Sales is, a lot of it works in the subconscious. Can we do two quick fire questions? Do you work with companies who already have developed their MVP that's from Assam? Yeah, for sure. From Wenting, who is uh, asking, do you think investors care more about the revenue a company has earned or their business model? Depends on the business, depends on the investor, depends on the stage. Going back to one of the slides there, remember, it's, a, it's the, the penny by number slide, remember? Like if you're, at, if you're at Series A, if you think that you can get, again, you might, this might happen, but then you're two standard deviations away from the mean. You could get a 20, raise $5 million on a 20 million pre. You could, right? You could but it's unlikely. So if you wanted to raise a five, like $5 million on a $20 million pre, you typically need to be doing, again, painting by numbers, right? You need to be doing uh, like a, you know, hundred thousand pound recurring revenue a month. You need to, you need to not be churning your customers. You need to be, you know, like you need to, again, go back to that napkin. That's how you understand how they think about you, right? It's, it's, they don't have the time. They, they, they try and fit you into their box. You've got to be more, you've got to be more Taoist, man. You've got to, you've got to live in harmony with their market. Uh, on that note, I think uh, one of the more unusual uh, uh, notes for a speaker to end uh, his talk on. Uh, thank you, David, for an excellent, uh, insightful session. And thank you, everyone, for being here today as well.